We pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb who sits on the throne, the Lamb who went to Calvary in our place. Lord, we pray at this moment that your Spirit would be active as you have promised, that he would be work at work as you have promised through your Word, that he would transform us, that he would bring us the assurance of our sins forgiven, that he would give us great confidence in the faith that we have in your word and what you have revealed to each and every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last Sunday we spoke about the baptism of Jesus which follows Epiphany Sunday and there we saw that Jesus steps into the waters of the River Jordan so that he might be the one who would stand in our place. And you could look at it in this way, that Jesus enters into his baptism to collect your sins and mine and the sins of the whole world, and we go to our baptism to have this same Jesus remove those sins from our life so that we might stand rightly before God. So if you want to know more about Jesus, the Scriptures are the place to start. As we learned last week, we needed somebody to stand in our place. And this week, we get a little bit more as it relates to Jesus, as he is called the Lamb of God. And so this morning, we're going to look at not only what does that mean, but we're going to look at the peculiar way in which he is made known to his people Israel through John the Baptist. And so if you would open your Bibles, our sermon text is just the first part of the gospel lesson. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 29 through 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Recently, you may recall that there was a big problem brought to the company Facebook. And it was a problem that got exacerbated during our election time, as you can imagine. It was magnified and it came to be known among many of the constituents of Facebook, people like you and people like me, that not all of the news stories that come across your feed on Facebook are true. Some of the news stories that come across your feed and mine lack certainty. 
lack authenticated sources, aren't trustworthy. Now I know this is a shock to many. That not everything your phone and computer and the internet says is true. Take a minute. Gather yourselves. I know it's a shock to the system. It sets us back. And sometimes truth is like that, isn't it? It's like hugging a porcupine. It's not always what you want to hear, but it's the reality. But the concern over this is that many of their constituents seem to only get their news through social media. And so they have a rightful concern, I guess you could say, in the fact that, well, if that's the only place a person gets their certainty in news, then it probably matters whether it's truthful or authentic before you go into the Facebook world saying whatever it is that you might say. News should be truthful. And it's probably true that at one point all news networks cared about that. And while the ship has probably sailed on news networks, it hasn't on their audience. You and me. You see, when the world, when society sets truth and certainty to the side and says it doesn't matter really any longer, then all sorts of problems ensue. All sorts of problems have ensued. It's kind of like you hope when you are doing a paternity test that the science is certain. Because it affects a lot of people, a lot of lives. And so if you set truth and certainty aside, a lot of things go wrong in the world. It's the same for the church. If the church sets truth and certainty aside, that is, the Scriptures aside, a lot will go wrong in the church and rightfully should go wrong in the church. You see, people, God wants certainty in your life and in my life. God does things in a way as he reveals himself so that you and I might have certainty and might have assurance that we need. If we think about God's Old Testament people, we call them Israel. Israel had much to be certain about as it related to their relationship with God. Israel was certain that they were God's chosen nation. And God not only told Israel this, he demonstrated it through many powerful acts that can be verified in history as having taken place. Israel was certain that God's love was long-suffering and would stick with them through the worst of their days. Israel was certain that they were a sinful people, that they were 
unholy before a holy God. And like you and I, sometimes they're more certain of that than others. Sometimes they don't like to think about that. Sometimes we don't like to think about that. But it doesn't take long for any of us staring in the mirror, looking at our own lives to realize that we can with certainty look at ourselves and say, yep, no doubt about it, I'm a sinner. Israel was certain by God's word, his actions, and his promises that they would one day receive one who would deliver them and redeem them from their sins and all the attendant consequences that follow sins in terms of separating them from God. They knew that God had promised to send one into the world as early as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and onward. But what Israel wasn't certain about, at least not completely, is who would be the one. They knew a few things, like they knew it would come from the line of David. They knew if they read Isaiah that he would be born to a virgin mother. They had certain markers, but they were never really certain as to who will this Messiah be? What will this life that he leads look like? And you've got to think how hard and you've got to understand how Israel, with all of their futures and their past hinging on this promise, you can see why Israel would want to be certain about this one and who he is. Also, first century Israel, at the time of our text, God has been silent for 400 plus years. God hasn't been sending prophets. God hasn't been speaking to his people as he had done historically. 400 years of silence until John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, comes on the scene. And he starts talking about a baptism. He starts talking about a conversion. He starts talking about making a way for the promised Messiah. So you can see why not only would John, after 400 years of silence, want some certainty, but you can see why the audience, the lost sheep of Israel, would also want some certainty. So here's John, which is a little bit interesting. As we read this text, the text tells us that he did not, what, know him. Now I find this peculiar because John the Baptist is a relative Jesus. You remember the whole Mary visiting Elizabeth thing? John leapt in the womb. Mary knew that she was about to give birth to a child whose name was Jesus. Who? Why was he named Jesus? Because he would save people from their sins. Elizabeth knew that she was the mother of the Lord. And here's her son, John. And in this account, John says that he did not what? Know him. What does that mean? All we can surmise is that John knew of Jesus. He probably met Jesus, but he didn't know if this was for certain the one of God. And John says in the text, the God who called me to baptize 
to prepare people to see Jesus. John tells us that his mission, by direct revelation from God, was clear. Baptize, preparing people to meet the Messiah, and then reveal who he is to God's people. His mission was clear. But John doesn't begin his sermon, he doesn't begin preaching with anything like this. Well, my aunt or cousin Mary told me. Why are you here, John the Baptist, preaching this message? Because my mama told me to come out here to the desert and do this. Is his mom not trustworthy? Hmm, new sermon series coming next week. No, I'm kidding. God wants John to have a certainty found only in him, in his revealed word. John will not have to trust the stories of his family and extended family. John says that the Lord who sent him told him that you will see the Spirit depend descend upon him in the form or likeness of a dove and when you see that John you will know without a doubt this is the one that you are to point people to and in our text John says I saw that I witnessed that at his baptism and Jesus comes out to John sometime after his baptism maybe a day or two later and it's only then that John says look Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How do you know that, John? Because the one who sent me told me this is what I would see, and I have seen it with my own eyes. He is the long-awaited, promised one. John was certain. God made John certain. John was certain in proclaiming and revealing to this lost people that this is the Jesus, this is the one that God has sent to redeem you. This is the one he has sent to forgive your sins. And he gives them the image of this is the Jesus who is the Lamb whose altar will be Calvary. And not only would Israel have certainty, but Jesus points to the same certainty for you and I. He wants you and I to have certainty no doubt about our forgiveness and our salvation and our assurance. And you can look at Jesus throughout his life, even after his resurrection, as he's on the road to Emmaus, and there's some disciples that are confused. And Jesus, to help them become certain as to what has transpired with his death and resurrection, Jesus takes them back to the revealed Word of God and shows them from the Scriptures who he is and how he's been in the scriptures and pointed to all this time. The rich man and Lazarus both die. Lazarus goes to be in the bosom of Abraham, the rich man, into hell, and the rich man says to God, send Lazarus back. Let him rise from the dead because I have brothers who don't believe. And Jesus says, your brothers up there among us living like us, they have the word. 
And if they won't believe the word, then neither will they believe one who rises from the dead. The word gives us our certainty. You can sit in a pew and have doubts about whether or not your darkness is forgiven. You can have doubts about whether the things that go through your mind will be forgiven, as went through mine when I heard the time of an installation. It's really not a first commandment issue, I promise. There's 24 hours in a day you can schedule something. There's no doubt, there's certainty. And God reveals it, and He gives us things like baptism. How can you be certain about baptism? Because you can be certain from what the Word says baptism does. The Spirit comes to you in, with, and under the water with the Word of God, and you are given the gift of salvation, the gift of faith, an ability to trust this revealed promise to you. The revealed Word tells you that when you confess your sins, and Pastor Thomas Thompson declares this forgiveness of sins. Scriptures tell you that you can hear those words from him as if Christ Jesus is telling you himself your sins are forgiven. The lamb killed on Calvary whose body and blood comes to you off of this very altar in the bread and the wine comes to you to let you know your sins are forgiven. You can be certain Just as certain as it is that that body and bread is going into your mouth and into your body, you can be that certain that Christ has redeemed you and forgiven you and restored you to a right fellowship with Him. God wants you to be certain. There should be no doubt. And the Word removes all doubt. If we set the word aside and the certainty and the truth of God aside, I can tell you right away, we are in trouble. And I can tell you, if we do that, you will walk away from this place Sunday after Sunday with more doubts than you had coming in. But to remain in this word, to live and to die in this word, is to die with a certainty and assurance rooted in the blood of the Lamb shed for you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, so many times we are haunted by our past. So many times our sin lead us to a place of great uncertainty about whether or not we could be loved, whether or not we could be forgiven, whether or not we could ever even be trusted again. But your redeeming love and grace and forgiveness given to us in the means of grace, remove those doubts, remove the uncertainty, and uncertainty is replaced by our own Lord's very voice saying to us, your sins are forgiven. And Lord, it's that faith that you've given us that we can cling to this promise and trust this promise and know that we have been made new through the blood of the Lamb. Lord, thank you for this certainty. Thank you for protecting your revealed word through the ages and from the attacks that it will continue to receive. But Lord, it remains a living word in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.